Podophilia. Gurdy, 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 in the window boxes. Welcome back to Anglophilia. I'm Stephanie Callis. <laughs> I'm Kaylee McMahon. You guys can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Anglo Podcast. Go to our website, anglophiliapodcast.com. If you want to support us on Patreon, that's cool. If you don't, we love you anyway. And if you want to give us a nice rating or review, we would really appreciate that. Uh, Stephanie, what are we discussing today? We are discussing a little gem, Still Game. Still Game is a Scottish sitcom produced by the Comedy Unit with BBC Scotland. It was created by Ford Kiernan and Greg Hemphill, who, donning fake grey mustaches and age makeup, play the lead characters Jack Jarvis Esquire and Victor McDade, two Glaswegian pensioners living in the fictional town of Craig Lang. The show also stars Paul Riley as Winston Ingram, Mark Cox as Thomas Tam Mullen, Jane McCary as Isa Drennan, Sanjeev Kohli as Navid Harid, and Gavin Mitchell as Robert Bobby the Barman Taylor. Recurring cast members include James Martin as Eric, Paul Young as Shug, Jack Darcy as Pete the Jakey, Matt Costello as Stevie the Bookie, Lynn McCallum as Peggy McAlpine, Kate Donnelly as Francis Mullen, and Scott Reed as Michael Methadone Mick Doherty. While each episode is mostly built around Jack and Victor's zany adventure of the week, the series also offers occasional yet profound moments of bittersweetness. Our heroes and their friends are pensioners, after all, and each of them is aware that the clock is ticking. Some are widowed, some are divorced and widowed, some have grown children who never call, and some are completely on their own. For these reasons, on top of Craig Lang being somewhat of a shite hole, this community of retirees seriously sticks together. They are all, quite literally, each other's ride or die. The characters of Jack, Victor, and Winston originated in a play they performed at the Edinburgh Festival. These characters were then featured in Kiernan and Hemphill's TV sketch series, Chewin' the Fat which aired in Scotland from 1999 until 2002. Still Game debuted that same year and ran until 2007, followed by a Christmas and Hogmanay special. The characters were then on a seven-year hiatus until they returned with a live show in 2014. The series officially returned to TV in 2016 for three additional seasons, with the finale airing on BBC Scotland in March of 2019. And now that that business is out of the way, <laughs> here we go. This is a show that I had never seen a single episode of before we decided to do it, but I know that you had seen most of it. And um, I'm going to confess that I didn't love it as much as I've loved a lot of the shows that we've talked about, though it did grow on me. And I was kind of curious for most of the time while I was watching it, why does Stephanie love this so much? But then, of course, the answer was right under my nose the whole time, which is that it's a show about geriatric Scottish men, which is so <laughs> up Stephanie's alley that I almost feel uncomfortable going up that same alley. Like, it's it's like how I would feel, I'm sure, if they made a show about, like, little gay English boys. Not boys, but, like, 20-something twinks. That's my type, and this is hers, and to each her own, right? <laughs> it was funny because when I was listening to our last cut of Staged before we posted it, you had this line, there's a direct correlation between how horny you are for someone and how Scottish they 
they are. Truth. And while, I mean, this is all in fun, although this joke is going to permeate the, the episode, um, I'm not necessarily into people over 70 or 75, necessarily. But yes, I am obviously, you know, super charmed by most, if not all things Scottish. I found this show not even on my own. A friend of mine from college, one day in 2016, he just wrote on my Facebook timeline, still game, Netflix, now. And I went, okay, well, I'm not doing anything else. And I put it on. And within seconds, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's a show about a little Scottish old man, but maybe it won't be great. And then I, I just kind of fell for it. And I did binge it for like a few weeks. And I did watch the 2014 show on YouTube. And I learned the show's coming back. And um, it was just a nice little couple week long reprieve because it was the fall of 2016. It was like mm. September, October of 2016. It was sort of a nice little, like the, the last show I binged and loved before the country changed forever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I will concede that the show is obviously going for like broad appeal. Sure. There are very few pop cultural references. No one has like a cell phone or anything, even though this debuted in 2002. It's not a show that is hard to follow. Up until the very last season, there's not a lot of plot. They've nailed the premise, but there is not a lot of plot. So I can understand why someone wouldn't be like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens this time in this episode, because it's just going to be a completely different set of, ooh, here's an idea. Now let's see how the idea goes. Doop -de -doop -de -doop. Sure, yeah. I'm glad that you pointed out that it's only in the last season that it gets really plot heavy because I did want to give a warning to our listeners before they listen to the rest of the episode that we are definitely going to be spoiling major elements of the plot. And um, I think that if you haven't seen this show and you don't have the time to watch all nine seasons, it might be okay to just watch the final season and then listen to this episode. And then if you like it, then you can go back and watch the rest. Because apart from that final season, it's pretty classic sitcom structure. I think the reason that I had a hard time getting on board at first is that, as you said, this premiered in 2002, and so it's like a 20-year-old show, and yet it feels even older than that. It feels like a 40-year-old show, or possibly even older than that. Like, it feels... There's something about just the style of humor that feels like a real throwback, and, like, it's, mm -hmm. it's charming in its way, but it's also a little bit predictable at times like I don't, I don't want to be too hard on it because as I said there were some things that really charmed me about it too but it felt like a weird very retro thing to be watching right now I will agree with that when I was at the height of my love for the show which has rekindled a bit I did show my mom an episode in that episode we've got Naveed having a midlife crisis and it was when Naveed goes to the dance lessons and is just dancing with some old women my mother goes I'm a little surprised that you love this one as much as you do and I said why and she said it's just so old-fashioned mm -hmm. and it's true it is yeah. very old-fashioned and when you compare it to other shows that you and I both love that yeah. we've talked about on the show we're gonna name like Peep Show very very modern um yeah and The Office which premiered a year before this like, The Office just, which premiered yeah. a year before that it's so it is it is definitely like it is a very dirty show for old people and children. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
no one in between. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of like that. But I get that people over in in Scotland they effing love this show so much, and that's good by me. Yeah, I mean the way that I first heard about the show actually was one of our listeners, Francine, reached out to us and recommended it, and so it's been like in the back of my mind for a couple years since she sent that email. So uh, thank you, Francine. Shout out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean I'm totally fine with it being something that doesn't necessarily resonate with me on as personal a level as people who literally know this place, this setting, these characters. It's fine that it's not for me and it's not going to hit in the same way. Um, you know, de demographically, you know, as a, as a mid-30s single woman living in New York City, I'm taken care of by Sex in the City, so I don't need to, you know, connect <laughs> with, with this. No, um, I think that that's a good transition into talking about the characters because a lot of them just feel like real people in kind of the same way that the secondary characters in the office feel like, oh yeah, that's just somebody that I would casually know in passing from work or from my neighborhood. Yeah, the cast, predominantly for the lead characters, they are all people who, at the time the show started, are in their 30s and 40s who are aging up and that is part of what makes the show kind of cute and different but there are a handful of people who are old um mm -hmm. and they, they're playing these these secondary characters we should start with the leads jack and victor two best friends in the pilot jack moves in to be next door to victor they're both widowers their wives have been gone for around 10 years right mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure how to characterize either of them because i think that weirdly I don't really know if there's like just one or two personality traits to latch onto. They just feel like real people and their friendship feels very real and natural. They're living in like a building, you know, for pensioners, affordable housing, etc. If not free, that was something that I really do like about this show is just like looking at what it would kind of look like if we took care of old people Man. without being like your option is to move in with your children or have them pay out the ass for expensive in-home care or, you know, a, a fancy retirement home. But but yeah, so Victor is like, you know, oh, the flat next door to mine just opened up, come move in. And so then Isa, Jack, and Victor all in one corner. Um, so Victor McDade, a.k.a. Victor McDoomy, a.k.a. Victor McDaddy, a.k.a. Oh that God. plowman's my lunch, a.k.a. the hurdy-gurdy-gurdy in my window box, a.k.a. he can do my slosh, a.k.a. one hot piece of William Wall ass, a.k.a. dirty neeps and tatties, a.k.a. the man from Glasgow over there and take your pants off, a.k.a. Scottish Jesus. I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, now's the time to go ahead and also say, like, these are the two lead characters. They're young men aging up. Jack Jarvis just looks like an adorable little old Scottish man. Yeah. He just looks like an old man. He was in his 40s at the time. It is zero offense to Ford Kiernan, because I also think he delivers one of the best performances in the show. 100%. Um, Victor is very tall, and he looks like a young person dressing as an old man. It's so, it's so funny. Yeah, there's only like a 10-year age difference between the two of them, but one of them legitimately looks 70, <laughs> and one of them, I actually, during the second episode, I had this thought while looking at Victor and I was like oh my god is he younger in this than Ben Platt is now I looked it up he's not but because like he was 32 and I think Ben Platt is 27 or 28 oh my goodness yeah I mean Greg Hemphill was at least aging up which is automatically like kind of supposed to be funny it's not supposed to be serious but... <laughs> yes anyhow um I think that Victor 
at least in the beginning. And I think that it can kind of go back and forth throughout the course of the series mm-hmm. because they're attached to the hip. Mm-hmm. We rarely really see them talking to people without each other. So obviously, if you're stuck with somebody all the effing time, your personalities are going to blend together a little bit. Right. In the beginning, you can see how Victor tries to be a little bit more upstanding sometimes. Right. An episode that I really like cold, C-A-U-L-D. I am not going to try to mock your accent because it might bother some people. Um, Chicken. But Winston figures out a way to sort of hack getting free electricity and Jack is all the way like, oh yeah, let's go for it because they do have to pay for electricity and it is going to be seriously cold in in Craig Lang and these people are old Mm. and the weather is going to impact you more if you are a very small child or an older person. I.e. the demographic for this show. (laughs) (laughs) I.e. the demographic for this show. But Victor is like, no, that's stealing. We're not going to do it. And that was something I kind of noticed in the earlier episodes was that Jack would not really necessarily think twice about telling a little lie or doing a little bit of stealing in order to protect himself. Sure. But I don't know how much they actually sort of stick to that by the end. By the end, I think they're kind of equally sort of wily. Yeah, I think that that's a fair assessment. He seems to be a little bit more like the always honest one and also like the ever so slightly more curmudgeonly one. Yeah, he can kind of step in and tell everybody to knock it off now and again, even Mm -hmm. though he is also a goof. Oh, sure. I don't mean that he is not that he's like the straight man, certainly, but it's just there's like just a slight little bit of gruffness, I think. Maybe that's part of what you're responding to. (laughs) He's such a man. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, one of the reasons I did kind of fall for the show early on and it was not only observing the dynamic between Jack and Victor, but observing Victor is in in the very second episode, Family, they kind of reveal that Victor does have an older son living in South Africa who does not call, does not come visit, has been to Edinburgh in the last year, but did not come to Craig Lang. Like, it's shitty. It's, It's shitty. And watching Victor being both very hurt and frustrated by that, but also trying to kind of make excuses and cover for it a mm-hmm. lot was interesting. And Jack's going, you know, he's he's not coming. He's not going to come. He gets a, a voice message from his son on his answering machine saying, you know, I'm coming in tomorrow. My train arrives at blank. And then he can't hear what time his son's coming in. So they sit at Central Station all effing day waiting for this grown-ass man who never shows up. His son is the Great Pumpkin. Explain that to me. You don't know the Peanuts and Linus waiting out in the pumpkin patch for the Great Pumpkin and the Great Pumpkin never comes? Maybe, but it's been a very long time. Don't worry about it. Keep talking. (laughs) But Victor does have like some sweet little poignant lines about, you know, young people, it's different. They say, I'll see you next year. They say, I'll see you tomorrow because it's just another day. Mm. It's it's different for us. And... throughout this very wacky and, as you said, kind of retro and silly series, they don't shy away from really occasionally reminding you, like, these people are old and wise. Yeah. Even in the first episode, when they're packing up Jack's stuff to move into the new apartment, Victor's kind of teasing him because he doesn't really have a lot of shit. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, he calls his shit shite um, to his face, and he holds up this ceramic dog that Jack's hanging on to. And this is where I'm going to say I'm hoping we'll play clips, but Mm -hmm. really listen very hard to these if you (laughs) yourself are not Scottish. Um, But Jack has this, like, 
beautifully delivered speech. Like Ford Kiernan is so good at slowing down mm-hmm. and really delivering these monologues just about time passing and loneliness and how much he misses his wife. See, after Jean died, I got rid of a lot of stuff, you know. The only reason I kept that was because her mother bought her it, you know. She loved that thing. After I buried her, you know, everything I looked at reminded me of her, you know. So I just get shot at a lot of things, you know, that display cabinet, the whatnot that used to sit over there, all the wee fancies that used to sit round there. Even that twin tub in the kitchenette, you know, I couldn't look at it. So I just get shot at a lot of it, thought, start again. But I never got started again, did I? That's why that's all I have. My fucking heart. Yeah, this is a really, really heartbreaking show. It, they really don't shy away from the sadness of the end of life and also the bleakness of the setting and everything. And like, that might not necessarily be everybody's cup of tea, but it did make this very interesting and it did set it apart from like a, you know, typical retro sitcom where it's all just, you know, comic misunderstandings that could be cleared up with a couple lines of dialogue. Um, Yeah. Oh, there was this one moment, they're talking about how long they've got left. And I was so depressed by that because like in this season of the show they're supposed to be my dad's age they're 72 okay well i think jack is 75 okay but but i'm i'm pretty sure victor is 72 yeah and you know winston is in his late 60s i think and so is isa and i don't know how old (laughs) navid is is that supposed to be yeah but i'll go ahead and tell you this now without revealing too much about um later in the series which there will be a few spoilers eventually um but you know i told you that i had a lot of work to do this weekend which is also a bummer because today is halloween but (laughs) yeah i had some work work to do so i woke up yesterday i'm making my tea i'm eating my breakfast and i got a text from my dad who is 67 he just said hey your your mom and i are driving out to orange county tonight for my brother's 70th are you around? Would you want to have lunch? And I thought, okay, I'm not hungry and I'm very busy, but I am not going to turn them away after finishing the show last night. They are going to come visit me and it's going to be wonderful. And I just said, I'm not hungry. What time were you thinking? And the way my dad was so quick to go, don't worry about it. Another time. I thought, nope, not another time. You're you're coming the fuck over. And I said, no, 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 I I can make time for you. Please just come over. I'm just not ready for like lunch. And Mm. I was so happy when they got here, just sitting with my parents on my couch. And I was looking at them thinking like, okay, you guys, uh, time's going by. I'll put it that way. And and my uncle's turning 70. And my dad did kind of have a moment where he said, 70 sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. That's something, this show, I think that it is good for making people with parents or grandparents who are still alive not put off those visits and to seize the day and now is the time to visit because you never know how long you have. We talked about Victor's neglectful son and Mm. Jack has a loving daughter but she also lives geographically very far away. She's in Canada. It's so hard to live far away from family and from people that you love and honestly this show it made me regret not being closer to my grandparents when they were still... I'm already crying, goddammit. Oh, no! But, but Just no. lean into it, man! I will, yeah. No, I, I regret not being closer to pretty much all of my grandparents. I just saw them so rarely and see them... I mean, the ones that are still alive even more rarely now and the ones that aren't, obviously. <laughs> I don't see them at all, so... 
yeah, ugh, it's a bummer. Time is a bummer. We usually don't get this wistful until the end of an episode, but this is, it's kind of baked into the subject matter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, watching this, I missed my grandparents so much. Mm. I was lucky enough to get to grow up geographically closer to them. But the other thing about time is like when you're young, you don't know you're young and you don't know the value of age. Mm -hmm. So, of course, at like five years old, I wasn't going to ask my grandparents poignant questions. Yeah about the 20th century and life, etc. Yeah. But, you know, they did all make it into at least my 20s. And I never asked that stuff. And sometimes yeah. they shared it with me without me asking. And sometimes it was hilarious. But of course, there were other times where they would just share things and I'd go, okay, I'm going to wait this out politely. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, why wasn't I recording all of it? Yes. Why wasn't I writing all of it goddamn down? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that a lot in their little side comments about, you know, younger people not getting it. Okay, so other characters, you were going to talk about Isa. Isa's my favorite. Isa's the shit. She is like the token lady and she is a nosy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have to say, I really appreciate that they call all of the women that they don't like on this show bastards and not bitches. I appreciate the gender egalitarianism. I mean, there still are definitely jokes about like, you know, you fat cow and sure. there are some gay jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's again, kind of retro. about as politically incorrect as it gets. But yeah, I do also appreciate that Isa's a nosy bastard. Um, and she is a nosy bastard. There's a funny moment where Jack and Victor are just kind of walking outside. Isa comes at them in the opposite direction and Victor just raises his hand and says, that's enough and they keep walking <laughs> like that sometimes how I try to just deal with people who are like coming in hot and you don't feel like it but yeah she is kind of a relatably friendly person you're there for her at the end of the day these guys do help her out in a lot of ways but sometimes god I just wish that I didn't have to have you peeking through your your post <laughs> uh your post office yeah. your mail your mail slit to to get a look at at my uh your mail slit to get a look at my business. It <laughs> did not sound right. The thing about Isa is that, you know, the gossipy female neighbor is definitely a sitcom trope that's been around for ages. But she's not, like, she, she's, as you said, she's a very friendly, pleasant sort of gossip. And I feel like she, you know, why does anybody gossip? It's to feel important and, like, they are relating information. And she probably sees herself as, like, this great, reliable source for what's going on in an essential part of the community. And, um... I don't know. I think that probably a large reason that I love her so much is that just that actress, she has a Don French smile, which just makes her so fucking endearing and sweet. And she has a really good heart. I mean, in one of the final episodes, she is addicted to charity, which like, is that not the cutest fucking thing you've ever heard? Like all of her credit cards are maxed out because she has signed up for too many donations to like save X endangered species. She only ever means well. She's not like the, the a neighbor from Bewitched where it's like what the fuck business is it if Samantha is a witch go away like there's nothing there's nothing creepy or self-serving about it and the other thing that makes me feel bad for her is that like she kind of is the only woman in this universe which you know that's just a fact of this being created by men and under patriarchy because statistically widows are a lot more common than widowers like yeah. they, especially since they're not even that old they're mostly in their 60s and 70s like there would be a lot more women around in this world it's kind of the same thing as like how in pixar's a bug's life all of the characters are men except for the queen but really like all of the worker ants like would be women like only the drones would be men it's just like <laughs> oh well we don't want to give girls parts <laughs> 
boys won't watch things about girls. Ew, gross. <laughs> yeah, I but yeah, I mean, imagine being the only woman left somehow in this community. And the guys are so mean to you. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy for her. And I wanted her to get like a happier ending than she ended up getting. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> they also don't leave her out of the profundity. There's that episode in, I think in season one, where we learn that she's got this absentee husband, Harry, mm-hmm. a total bastard who ran out on her years earlier. There's a knock at the door and it's Harry and he's back. And the way that Jack and Victor and Winston and Navid and Bobby, they're all immediately like, oh, this guy can fuck off. Like, why are it's you true. back and why are you messing with Isa? I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, there, there yeah. is a loyalty to her. There's just sort of an annoyance. It's kind of like she's the pesky little sister that they all love but tolerate. But also she's constantly cooking for all of them and like cleaning their flats and stuff and like doing all of this woman's labor. And it's like, oh, Isa, you deserve more and I want more for you. I want you to fuck hot Craig Ferguson. Oh my God, that was <laughs> such a... Okay. Th- we gotta that, talk about that. <laughs> that is, and it's obviously on purpose, but one of the most frustrating things for me about the show, and this is coming from someone who really does love it, it's like, they'll tease you with a happy ending, and then mm-hmm. it's like, never the fuck mind. Yes, yes. And, and you go, but why? It was <laughs> Fine! It yeah. would have been just as funny if Isa got her back blown out by Craig Ferguson. <laughs> yes. You know, why, 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 why not? So the episode that we're talking about, Craig Ferguson is a guest star in one of the episodes in the final season. He is someone that Isa knew way back in the day. They had a friendship that could have maybe turned into an affair or, or a romance, but it, they never acted on it. And then he went to Los Angeles to become a stuntman, and he's like the, the sexy, successful you know son who got away and made good and then he he comes back for a visit and he's all handsome and there's all of this tension and electricity and Isa at this point has been widowed by her no good husband Harry but she still feels guilty and like I don't know can I move on am I ready for emotional and physical intimacy am I too old for it at my age blah blah blah. she's like all hesitant and then finally it's like okay like they're on their way to Bangtown and it's gonna be beautiful and then she says something like I just I just hope that I can trust you and then he's like giving himself a little pep talk in the mirror he's like like trust honesty whatever and then he takes off his wig and he's got like stringy white golem hair and he takes out his false teeth and he's completely toothless and he takes off his body shapewear and he's got this giant gut and it's like why why did you 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 and then he like walks out like in a robe but like he's he's like naked but again you can't see and then she says where's your willy and he's like it got bitten off by a dog and it's like <laughs> she he could have told her that before just like springing it under like surprise i'm all mangled and gross like you can you can have sex with someone while wearing a toupee and your false teeth you don't need to go full honesty the first it just it was one of those obstacles oh and here's the other thing he could have pleasured her He didn't need to put his half dick inside her if that's a physical impossibility or if it's going to hurt him somehow. There's a lot of other ways to please a woman besides just penetrative sex. Just free tip, everybody. But like the fact that they used that as an excuse for Isa not to get her rocks off, just it made me think of love actually, where it's like, oh no, my cell phone's (laughs) ringing. We can't fuck. Goodbye forever. (laughs) Come on, dude. Just just put your teeth in and suck it up. I don't know. (laughs) Put your teeth in and suck it up indeed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we do get the great line later when he has a total breakdown while in the car with Bobby because he's giving Bobby driving lessons. He just screams, life's no worth living. I've no got a car. (laughs) Which 
Which, like, again, that is silly, and I can picture two men writing that and giggling their asses off, and good for you. I'm glad you have fun, but... I'm glad you have cocks. <laughs> Let Isa get her rocks off with Craig Ferguson. Why I the know. fuck not? Come on, dude. Especially because two characters that we haven't talked about yet, but the other most important ones, Winston and Tam end up getting married and they're like no more worthy of love and happiness than Isa is, but she still stays alone forever after being widowed by her shitty husband. It, I don't know. It just, it bothered me because even if it isn't like a happy ending forever, because that's not the kind of show that this is to start with, I just wanted her to have a little glimmer of hope for longer than like the length of a dinner. On the subject of Isa's love life, one more thing, which is they like interestingly tease a couple of weird things. Like early on, when Harry comes back to town, he won't just take fuck off as an answer. So she has to like pretend that one of these guys is her husband and Winston is the one who ends up doing the job. So they, you know, they're, they're hanging out and he's so annoyed by it and wants to have like an out. So he has a friend call him with the fake emergency in classic <laughs> sitcom fashion. But like she ends up sort of taking a shine to him and getting a little bit of a crush. But then like nothing ever really happens with that which I mean it's fine and then also she shares a kiss at some point with Naveed who is married and then they never bring that up again which is good because I wouldn't want for him to leave his wife Mina for Isa that would be terrible but but it's just weird that that's like those are the only tiny little breadcrumbs that she's given over the course of nine seasons girl I thought that the Isa Naveed thing was a missed opportunity, not because I wanted them to get together at all. Mm-hmm. Mina goes to India to visit her sister, and then he gets word that Mina, while in India, has been talking to the man that she had originally been supposed to marry. It was an arranged marriage, but then Naveed swept in. But this guy has since become a Bollywood star, and he's very handsome. Mm-hmm. And so kind of out of frustration and, and revenge, he totally kisses Isa. And mm-hmm. it's confusing. Who's his employee? Also totally his employee. And there's like a confusion. And then later he's having a party. And the very end of the episode, they tease like, are they going to kiss again at, at New Year? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they should have then revealed in season seven they are now together and they're having an affair. But I kind of feel like those actors could have totally pulled off a mutual let's not do this. You were sad. You know, I, I work for you. Yeah. We're, we're BFFs. A sweet parting of the ways. Yeah, yeah. They could have totally pulled that off, I think, but instead it's I, just I never mentioned again. Yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about Winston? Yeah. Let's talk about Winston. Winston Ingram is the red faced gambling addict, um, who gets into a lot of little adventures of the week of his own, really seriously a gambling addict. Poor Winston's health ailments too he's like the most unhealthy of of all I know, of them yeah he has to have his leg amputated at some point in the series he has his leg amputated and, and they blame smoking and winston is also a character who doesn't get to have many heartfelt moments until the fucking last season where they decide to just bust out the big guns winston tries some tinder dates but he's also going to be having his second leg removed it's got gangrene and yeah. he's been ignoring calls and letters from his doctor and so he goes on these two tinder dates tells the woman early on i'm gonna have my second leg removed and they both ditch him and then he meets a lovely older woman named winnie who's already in a wheelchair and they Mm -hmm. kind of tease for a second that he's not going to be up for that challenge of two people in a wheelchair but they do end up getting together and it does feel like such a victory for winston and Mm -hmm. that actor does finally get to 
also take a breath and slow down and talk about how he's afraid he's not good enough for her because he's broke and he can't Mm. give her like the beautiful wedding that she deserves and to see him in love it was like oh god Winston gets to be multi-dimensional and he's very good at it (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah do we want to talk about Tam now he's a total cheapskate always trying to scam people out of cigarettes and alcohol (laughs) and rollerblades no um any (laughs) any sort of deal any sort of savings any sort of like a little like light con job he's incorrigible I I love Tam (laughs) I love everybody in the world I do want to say that I think that the reason that I didn't super bond with this show is that it very rarely made me laugh which for me is a problem in a comedy but I still did feel very invested and was just so in love with all of these characters I really just want to give everybody in this universe a hug no that's very sweet and of course I love watching Tam even though Tam is as they said at his fake funeral a A miserable miserable bastard There's a great Tam episode in the first season, Scones, where (laughs) he discovers that he can actually kind of use his talents to perpetuate his cheapness, where he starts responding to a bunch of contests that Mm -hmm. are advertised by various products. And so, like, he wins a year pass to the theater because he won a contest where he had to describe in 12 words or less why he loves the theater. (laughs) And, you know, he tells this to Jack and Victor, who then get inspired to try it themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they're at one of their houses together trying to submit to a contest being given by a scone (laughs) company. (laughs) And they're just not as good as Tam. Where's my scone? Where's my scone? Oh, here it is. Next to the phone. Did, did you leave it with the phone? No, I'm starting to rhyme scone and phone, see. Oh, no. No. Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I've got it, I've got it. Sconeo or Sconeo? Oh. Nice touch. Italian. Sconeo or Sconeo? How I wish that you were mine. Lying on a tea plate. Covered in margarine. <laughs> and <laughs> the poem that they actually end up submitting to the contest, a scone and tea at half past three makes the day a little brighter. Keep your cakes and fancy tarts and stick them up your shiter. I took a note about this episode, which was <laughs> that, you know, Tam is able to use his his frugality and his, you know, economical sense by just being able to come up with these, these perfect little, like, slogans and phrases and, and rhyming couplets that are pretty good from a marketing standpoint and the ones that jack and victor come up with are just generally not good at all and i went oh my god the couplets the rhyming couplets that they come up with are like lyrics from the princess diana musical oh my (laughs) god which is also on netflix if you want to watch a hilarious fucking train wreck of a musical i can't recommend it highly enough it's Yes. Spectacular. I mean, if there's a way to be offended on behalf of the royal family, like, I get that. (laughs) I mean, I'm offended on behalf of the royal family, on behalf of every British subject, on behalf of uh, musical theater writers, of which I am one, on behalf of people with ears and brains. All of humanity, really. This musical offends everybody. One size fits all. It's, It's great. Watch it, guys. Oh my gosh. But um, spoiler alert, in the final season, when Winston's going to have to lose his other leg, he does 
say my only hope would be scraping enough money together to get to Switzerland. But of course, he could afford the operation in Scotland, but he can't afford to get to Switzerland. And um, he and Tam get in a fight, a fight I understand, because Tam goes over to see Winston after he gets the news, Mm -hmm. and he starts being shitty, saying, hey, what about that pair of brogues that you got? Can I have them? You're not going to be needing them. (laughs) And, you know, Winston tells him to get the fuck out and says we're done and throws a shoe at him. And then the next day, Isa comes running into the Klansman and announces Tam is dead. And so we go a little while with everybody being devastated that Tam is gone and they have a funeral for him. And Winston gets up there and he's not afraid to say, Tam was a miserable bastard and it's just like him that he would do that, that he would just up and die. It was probably to make us all laugh. And he says, if we aren't here for a laugh, what are we here for? And that was another like, oh God, such a good question. It's definitely not to work our asses off all the time and then eventually die. But, But we learn later that the whole thing has been faked Tam cashes in his insurance policy and it's like something like 23,000 pounds and he gives it all to Winston so that Winston can get to Switzerland and get the operation and he manages to save his leg and it's like after all this time you did you did one good thing and it was fucking great and good for you and it was weird as hell and now you have to just kind of pretend that pretend to be dead yeah no it was a very like scrooge like redeeming thing where even even if that's the only nice thing that he ever does like it definitely offsets his cheapness for the rest of his days yeah it's very sweet yeah what about navid i love navid so much i think navid might be my other favorite besides isa he is the only person of color in craig lang which i suppose is true to life but i am happy that he does eventually get to point that out and how that hasn't been easy and it especially wasn't easy in the beginning when he first arrived in Scotland. But yeah, he owns and and operates Harid's, the kind of corner shop. Mm. And other than the Klansman or Jack and or Victor's apartment, it's like the other main location. He can be very sarcastic. He does employ Isa and he puts up with her in a a more unique way than the guys. Like Mm -hmm. he's very good at listening and indulging and then firing back with like the perfect sort of comeback. Mm -hmm. He is Muslim, he doesn't drink and he's just kind of, he's like observing everybody in a way. Mm -hmm. People really do confide in him a lot. People tell him a lot of things and he does give out his fair share of insults, etc. But he does kind of seem to be like the center of of everything. What's interesting is that he's one of two main characters who is slightly younger than the rest of the cast and who is you know often operating in a position of service even though obviously they're all friendly and like in a weird way like the other one is is Bobby the barman but in a weird way Naveed sort of occupies the spiritual place of a bartender even more than Bobby does definitely I did want to say you said that Naveed is the only character of color and that's not strictly true because we do need to mention his wife Mina that's true and I think that this is an interesting thing sort of again with like white men control everything it's a large ensemble cast there is one white woman one asian man and then there is one woman of color and we never see her face it's like this recurring joke and she also doesn't speak english she only speaks in subtitles and then navid mistranslates for her because mina is even more no nonsense and harsh and tactless than navid is so he'll often soften whatever it was that she said or just outright lie as as mina is offering like the harshest and most honest commentary on everybody's bullshit yes it's just weird it's like it's it's a trick that we saw with like the neighbor in 
in um not fucking home alone what's it called home, home improvement. improvement like it's a it's a thing that like i just it it just sort of struck me as a little bit weird and something that might get like some pushback if it were to happen today where there's one woman of color character and we literally never see her face until like the very final shot of her character it's just it, it felt a little bit dehumanizing not in a way that was intentional i'm sure but if you think about what it means on like a more global scale i just it, it felt like not at all surprising that that's what happened but like left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth I agree with you, and yet I remember when we both responded to that email from Francine, I brought up that exact thing, I think, oh, about how it's remember. the only woman of color in the show and we never see her face. And I did not fact check Francine, but she did have a response about, like, traditionally Indian women not showing their faces. But then, of course, I do think about Bollywood, and there are women who star in those movies. So, as yeah, I said, I didn't fact check Francine. Yeah, and also, like, it, I don't... I don't, like, just, even if she's, like, the, the sort of Muslim that would have, like, a full face covering, like, that you could still show that. Like, she, she's not, like, Muhammad. You can't not show her on television. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's <laughs> right. no reason for the creators of the show to be like, we can't have a Muslim woman's face. Ah, that would be terrible. Like, I don't know. It just, it felt a little bit strange. But It did feel a little bit strange, especially since she is so goddamn funny. She, she's a good character, and I do love her. I just wanted to point out that, like, slight weirdness about the, the way that she is filmed or rather not filmed. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Before we get on to other main characters, I did just want to talk a little bit more about like the roles of, of women on this show. As we said, there aren't very many, but I have to say a surprising favorite minor character of mine. Can you guess who it is? Edith. It's Edith. Yes. <laughs> I will say Edith is, like I said, I loved a lot of these characters. I was very invested in their storylines. Edith is the only character that made me laugh out loud every time she was on screen. And you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that based on her first appearance because she makes a first appearance in, I believe, season one mm -hmm. when Jack has a crush on a woman who, what, she works at a charity shop. Yep. He gets a date and she's like, oh, well, can you, do you have a date for my sister? And so then he enlists Victor to date the sister. And of course, the second that they show her, she's this short woman with these crazy teeth and all of these moles and making this crazy face. And I was like, oh, great. Ugly woman humor, my favorite. Yay, thanks, guys. But then she starts talking and she has this weird little gremlin voice. And it's so, like, I couldn't help but laugh. And then the fact that she keeps coming back. She's in, like, seven episodes, I want to think. And she always, every time she came back, I was so surprised and delighted. I would watch a whole spinoff just about Edith because she's just so funny. It's so rare for that role in a show to be genuinely funny and to give the actress something to do rather than just like wear some ugly prosthetics and be the mean butt of a joke that's totally misogynistic and and lame and old. They do make sure to ugly the actress up in a way that's extreme. Like she doesn't sure. look very human the same way that Craig Ferguson looks more like Gollum than, it, than an ugly person. And yes. she does have that voice. So she does seem more like a creature than, than a woman. But, you know, of <laughs> course it's like, oh, it's so embarrassing that Victor has to even stand next to her and be mm -hmm. her gentleman date for the evening. Oh no, like what will yeah. people say? You know, that I that I wasn't so into at all, but no same. You know, as the series wore on, Edith kind of got to be like funnier and hornier. Mm, <laughs> she, yes. she could sometimes just be in the clansmen off camera like growling at men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's staring at. Oh man. Oh man. 
You just what Craig Lang needs. Uh, oh, you've got me all going. Mm. Jesus. I'm gonna get gone. Give me some space. Oh, I've got space for you. Mm. We should still talk about Bobby. Yes, Bobby. Bobby is the barman. He's the other sort of person who everybody goes to. He's not as indulgent as Navid, but he's also another person who at the end of the day, for as annoyed as he is that he works in a bar that is only really patronized by like old codgers. Mm-hmm. There are some sweet moments where he really does come through for everybody. He's, you know, a gruff bastard with a heart of gold. Another minor character is Pete, this homeless man. And it's revealed after the character has died, I think between the season gaps, right? Because I think the, the actor died in that yeah. time. It's revealed that Bobby would make breakfast for him every day. Like there's like a real soft and charitable side to him, even though there's a sort of playful fake animal animosity, I think, between Bobby and all of his patrons. They're always kind of needling one another and then teasing him. Two pints prick, yeah. But yeah, obviously he has a real affection for all of these people and that is returned even if it's not always spoken or not ever spoken. He's not unlike everybody else in the show. It's like we're all stuck together in this shite hole of a little town and some people make some attempts to get the fuck out, but they Mm -hmm. always kind of end up coming back and staying stuck. And yeah, he'll call you a prick. He'll deny you a pint. He'll kick you out. But at the end of the day, he is a friend who will do whatever it takes for these old pensioners. Uh, Who's next? I mean, I guess the only, there's like Suge, Eric, Pete the Jakey, Methadone Mick. Methadone Mick doesn't come in until the show returned. And it was after Pete the Jakey died because Bobby does go underneath the bridge where Pete the Jakey used to live just to like clean it up. And they meet Methadone Mick, who is one of the few recurring cast members who's supposed to be an actual young person. And at first I just kind of found him sort of creepy and they get him a new set of teeth, which are too big for his face, which does make (laughs) him even creepier looking. But I don't know, as he started to hang around them more, he started to grow on on me a bit. Same. He's very smart. He's very culturally informed and like very good with words. Yes. Has a huge vocabulary. He's kind of philosophical in a lot of ways. He just, you know, it, it's surprising. And, and I guess that's like a lot of the source of the humor is that you wouldn't expect for this person to have so much knowledge of like literature and like Greek mythology or etymology or what have you. But he's just kind of this surprising wellspring of knowledge that's very obscure. But then he has these massive gaps like he doesn't know what like 30 times two is you know he's, uh, or like how to take care of himself as a, as a person but uh yeah. yeah I also was like uh, I don't know if I really care that much about this new person but then I really did as with everybody else grow to to care about him and feel protective of him I love Suge Suge mm. is one of the few people who's a pensioner played by an older person. Right. And he does kind of get to do something a little bit different because he has <laughs> these huge ears. <laughs> so he, he has incredibly good hearing, but he's also very tech savvy. He's a mm. veteran. He's got like mysterious hookups. And if anybody ever needs some kind of gadget, he's kind of like a very a very techie inventor sort of type. Eric, too, is also one of the few characters played by an older person. Mm-hmm. And he's he's very old. Like when yeah. he came back in season seven and eight, I was like, oh, Eric looks You were old. like, swing. Like, Sorry. I- <laughs> 
I thought, oh God, does does this old man have to still go to work? Are you guys gonna kill him off soon? Because I feel bad kind of watching him. Aww. But whenever there's a scene with all of them together, I can't help but feel kind of happy. And I'm like, I hope they had a great time getting yeah. to portray irresponsible old people with these younger guys. This whole show, I was thinking about how, especially in the early seasons before we go off on a lot of the, the weird antics and it's just kind of setting up the world, it kind of reminded me a little bit of something that we said about Bottom is that men without women are sad. You know, you've got these old single or widowed people who just they inhabit such a bleak world like even just the literal colors everybody just wears like different shades of khaki and olive and the landscape it's not like lush and beautiful like a similarly claustrophobic place like the vicar of dibley say Mm -hmm. it's all kind of like in these kind of grayish brownish tones and like I don't know, it just, it's like old, mellow Scottish bottom, (laughs) which I know is exactly your thing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah, Yeah, no, they really make sure that it's not a quaint looking town. It's very industrialized. You said something about, you know, setting up the world. They really, I mean, if if you think about improv, they lean the fuck into the suggestion, don't they? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you guys are pensioners in a small town, go. Mm -hmm. They really (laughs) exhaust the hell out of that with, you know, paying for electricity and how cold is dangerous for older people. Mm -hmm. Jack gets stuck in a bathtub, but like that would happen to an older person who who lives alone. I was thinking this morning that while the later seasons in spots, you can definitely see where it is maybe a little bit repetitive, it never jumps the shark. That is very true. There's never an episode where Jack and Victor decide to go skydiving. (laughs) I feel like the closest it comes to though is a similar critique I had of the final season of Peep Show for only the first two episodes of season nine of Still Game where you know in the first one Jack and Victor decide to try to become YouTube sensations and they get cell phones I kind of thought they wouldn't do that would they that doesn't seem like my guys Right. Yeah, that was something that I did want to bring up. It felt very weird and wrong and anachronistic to be inserting YouTube and like references to Gangnam Style and stuff like that into this. I don't know. It, it felt it felt like as uncomfortable as when your grandma learns to text. Like, oh, I don't know if this should be happening. <laughs> yeah, I kind of prefer Craig Lang being a land that time forgot. Untouched by time, exactly. Especially, yes. and and this is nitpicky, but it is kind of funny to think like, especially since they took a seven year break between mm-hmm. 2007 and yeah. 2014 they go back to do a live show if you sit and do the math it's sort of like okay so it's still 2008 in their world which also explains why none of these pensioners aside from eric seem to be getting any older but they introduce all this tech which does feel weird they introduce youtube and mm-hmm. gangnam style and very specific references they even talk mm-hmm. about the kardashians which it's like No, Mm -hmm. I don't need Jack and Victor to know who Kim Kardashian is. But also, we're starting up season nine, and I thought, I wonder if there'll be more transphobia. (laughs) Um, Because I I feel like that's a (sighs) thing. There wasn't any transphobia, but he does make a Caitlyn Jenner reference. And I thought, now that didn't happen until 2015. So by that math, if it's 2015, Jack's like 86 years old. (laughs) Yeah, I did think about like, no, you can't bring it to the present present because you guys are still 
nimble. <laughs> I was just saying that it felt anachronistic, but you've pointed out that it actually literally is anachronistic. I didn't even catch the, the Caitlyn Jenner reference. But yeah, it just felt weird and inconsistent to me in terms of the tone, because this is a town that is so small and so insular that in season six, a pizza place opens and most of the characters had never had fucking pizza yeah. before. Like, that's unimaginably foreign to me. The idea that they're, like, talking about, oh, there's toppings and you can put tomatoes on or you can have pineapple. Oh, who would do that? Like, really? And, and like, maybe, I don't know, you could argue if you wanted to be generous, ignoring the anachronism that you just pointed out. But, like, it could be just a bit of inserting commentary about how, like, oh, we're becoming more globalized and the internet is opening things up and things are changing. Like, there are, there are a couple of times when there's some sort of threat of change, whether it's like, oh, no, Bobby is going to lose his bar because of some sort of land development deal or, you know, their homes are going to be destroyed for the same reason or when there's, like, a big Costco-esque store that opens up and is threatening to run Naveed out of business. That was a very funny episode. I liked that a lot. And like, they all were so, like all of us, like fucking every last one of us, so against it in theory and in principle. And I'm going to boycott that store and, you know, because I'm loyal to Naveed and this is ruining the fabric of our community. Oh, but did you see how cheap this toaster is? Oh my God, they have these incredible steaks. Wow, a lawnmower. We all will go for the convenient and cheap and easy thing. I still fucking shop at Amazon, not because I want to, but because what are my better options right now? Um, yeah, no, no, the Hyperdales episode is great too because they discover Naveed hiding in a tent with a canister of petrol <laughs> with the intention of burning the place down. So they all stay overnight in Hyperdales because they get locked in and they're just like yeah. kind of partying and also making sure Naveed doesn't burn the place down. And also they end up having to lock Tam in a cage because the idea of all of these savings is just too great yes. a temptation. <laughs> Otherwise he would just fucking steal everything that was a very funny episode I well yeah that and, and that's the other thing too about here's your suggestion all the characters do what they would do tam is never not cheap jack and victor are never not still game it is again realistic big hyperdales comes to small town the pensioners are gonna love it because there's affordable stuff and it's it's another thing that they get to just do with their time. And also, like, as you said, these are not financially well-off people. Of course, if you give people who are living off of a very small pension, they're going to go for the cheaper option because what other fucking option do we have? This is something that really bothers me is placing all of the onus and, and the blame for the collapse of society on the consumer. Like, oh, it's not corporations' problem for polluting and too many emissions. It's you for your plastic straws shame on you horrible <laughs> turn off your lights and your air conditioners when it's a hundred fucking degrees outside about the pizza jack has never had pizza in his life i think he's the first to say it but my mother has a story about an aunt coming over to california los angeles area from rhode island and this aunt they're driving around and she finally asks my mother barbara what's a taco because she was seeing signs Aww. everywhere for tacos. I oh. thought about that when they were mystified by what goes on pizza and what's a jalapeno. They didn't know what a jalapeno yeah. was. I mean, I that at least to me feels a little bit more exotic perhaps because like Mexico is farther away than Italy is from Scotland. Like pizza is the most universal, like apart from fucking McDonald's, like who, what other more common food is there for you to eat? Ooh, I mean, jealous of all those pies. That they get to have, oh, yeah. like, hand pies every day if they want. Yeah, they're shitty because Bobby's microwave doesn't work. But all the pies <laughs> made me want 
hand pies or just like yeah. meat pies, even though I'm not eating yeah. meat. But I thought, God damn it, if I were over there, I would attack those meat pies. You know what I mean? I'm just curious. Apart from Victor's, who who else's meat pies did you want or did you only have eyes for him? I mean, I'm kind of in love with Navid. It's more of an intellectual sort of like, he'd be a good partner. Maybe he'd call me a fat cow, but he'd stick the fuck by me and be very upset if I ever flirted <laughs> with another man. I would let Tam treat me to a stolen dinner <laughs> or... <laughs> I kind of would too i'm not gonna lie i knew you would because he doesn't <laughs> not look a little bit like old reese oh interesting okay that's what i kind of yeah, thought I could see that. or or a yeah, type yeah, no he was i thought he was the cutest of the senior citizens yes yeah, i knew you would think that i knew you would think that's, that victor's just like funny. kind of a bad boy <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know why i wrongly suspected that you might Maybe it's that he's too young. I don't know. But I thought you might maybe nurse a little something for Bobby, the bimulleted barman. No, nothing. I will say that he looks like if Nick Cave were born and raised in Craig Lang and lived there all his life. Or if Nick Cave were to ever announce I have a cousin who's Glaswegian, I could see that. I do love Bobby, but no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't that into okay. all right, I wasn't yeah. that into Bobby. Got it, got it. Well, you have me completely pegged and I don't know you at all, is what I'm learning today. Yeah, man. <laughs> that one night where he kept saying Tyna Hoolish, I was like fanning myself. <laughs> Tina <laughs> Hoolish. Ooh, what the fuck does that even mean? How is that even a word? And why are you saying it in a way that makes it sound like an even longer word than it actually is? Mm. The accent where every syllable is just elongated and yet there are a bunch of consonants missing. Mm. <laughs> I love it. It's very funny. I will admit that for the last few weeks, as I've been frantically binging this show in preparation for this recording, a lot of my inner monologue has been in a Scottish dialect, and I'm not at all mad about it. You know, something that makes this show unique to the shows that we've spoken about is that, you know, not only is it about much older people in a small, not picturesque town, but it's very working class. These people did physical labor and mm -hmm. they're now retired. And so yes, Winston is only in his 60s, but like he's gonna be a little bit worse for wear than somebody who grew up in Los Angeles working in an office. When my sure. dad was in my house and when I was feeling like, oh God, time, I hate it. And he's 67. I still kind of thought like, I've never seen you in better shape. <laughs> like you, you yeah. look great. What the fuck are you doing? Doing. you what Steve yeah. Callis and I even told him like you don't look 67 dad but yeah it is very much a working class show so mm -hmm. you know there aren't characters apparently aside from a methadone junkie in, in recovery <laughs> yeah. who are going to be as loquacious these are simpler folks you said that you've been thinking in a dialect and so have I but I do love the Scottish working class like these are clearly very warm people but they're going mm -hmm. to cut to it and say get it up ya if they piss you <laughs> off I, I fucking love that I was gonna bring up too on season nine we already talked about how the first episode was a little bit made the show a little unrecognizable in the capery but the yeah. second episode I mean that beard on Victor <laughs> really worked for me but that was also a little bit like would my dudes do this he grows a beard and he wears a loud Hawaiian shirt and a shark's tooth necklace because he decides he wants to replace the cover model for Twilight <laughs> Magazine. And I thought, 
would you really, Victor? Like, <laughs> I feel like you would be making fun of that cover model, but you want to be the cover model? What did you think? Is there such a thing as an end-of-life crisis? Because it very much has the flavor of a midlife crisis, but the timing's off. That's true. And it, while I did find it more amusing than the YouTube stuff, like, I loved how... Mm -hmm everybody was secretly vying for the position of, of cover model. Jack dyes his hair and wears platform shoes and mm -hmm. Tam gets super cheap, terrifying Botox. I did like in the end that Suge got the job and so did Edith. Edith, yeah, who got her moles removed and yeah, it was so funny that now she's just like a beautiful woman who looks just like the actress who plays her, but she still got that fucking voice and I was thinking the other day as I was walking down the street, like next time somebody harasses me, what would happen if I was responded in Edith's voice. <gasps> <laughs> I, just, I might I might try that someday when I'm feeling really bold. Like, good morning, beautiful. Oh, good morning to you. Thank you. <laughs> like, I just wonder. I'll report back if I ever get the balls to do I it. I really want you to do there was one other moment you, you talked about how like there was like some light homophobia maybe in this it's not egregious it could have been so much worse for something that came out in 2002 mm -hmm. but like there's there's this one episode where Naveed's brother dies so he has to go back to India to handle his affairs and then in his absence Jack and Victor are tasked with running the shop and there's this one customer who checks out Big Cox magazine and like well, you know whatever that, just just ring him up and, and let him go on his merry way but jack actually like takes a look inside and then he's like oh no i can't get the picture out of my head he looks so shocked and it's like dude you made that choice i think that all men are actually secretly gay because they're so obsessed with gayness and they're so like oh no i could never why would you want to look at this disgusting magazine did you ever see this and it's like just if it bothers you, don't look, man. Dude, I think similarly. It's very similar to like a Mike Pence or to any other male straight Republican lawmaker who is only ever thinking about gay sex. It, it's like, why are you <laughs> yeah. thinking about it so much, dude? And yeah. um, I also kind of wonder if specifically with the majority of creators being straight men, the idea of the male gaze, which is a term coined to describe filmmaking like it, it sort of yes. permeated everything else and I have mixed feelings about that but mm -hmm. when you think about the male gaze whether it's a movie you're watching or a billboard advertising beer it's just titties everywhere we are inundated yeah. with fucking titties and asses mm -hmm. and curves and long hair or female body parts that are just you know chopped up like Mm -hmm. ads for things where the woman doesn't have a face but you see you know everything else mm -hmm. we are inundated with it so i myself am a woman who identifies as straight but i've been kind of forced to look at a lot of sexy pictures of, of women mm -hmm. in my time men are yeah. protected from that that's true because they're making these images and so when even if they're unaware of it there's got to be a curiosity that makes sense. if it's not necessarily erotic <laughs> there's got to be a curiosity and then I feel like if they catch themselves being curious, that scares them. But it's like, don't be scared. There's a fix yeah. for this. We can take the sex out of advertising. People oh, will still buy things. Then what would we do? Would people buy food because they're hungry? Yeah, right, Stephanie. You're living in a fantasy world, man. <laughs> there is, however, one episode where Isla gets the idea that Jack and Victor have actually been gay all along. Yes, again, that was that was something that was very, very old-timey sitcom of, like, a slight misunderstanding and then just assuming that these people that you've known forever... Oh, it's pure Three's company, right? Yes, oh, 100%. <laughs> but for as homophobic as they have kind of proved themselves to be, again, not 
not exactly going out and, and harming anyone, but they'll make a gay it's still joke. A punchline. But when when they realize like, oh, there's been a misunderstanding and the whole town thinks we're gay, they're very calm about it. They do kind of say true. like, I guess it does look like we're kind of gay. I guess it does make sense <laughs> that people would think we're gay. Right. They, they don't scream like Jeff and Patrick and coupling when one of them sees the other one <laughs> handcuffed to a bed. The episode <laughs> where Tam discovers Bobby's homemade porn tape. Yes! <laughs> They're going that to show great. a movie at the Klansman. So Tam is in the back going through all the VHS tapes and discovers what looks like a sort of homemade tape and he brings it home and he puts it on and off screen they don't show it but you just hear audio of two young women talking and the dialogue is so <laughs> stupid you've got great tits <laughs> they're cracking yeah. ain't they yeah. and then you hear bobby the barman off screen who says hello just to let you know your lawnmower's not working <laughs> <laughs> and they ask who are you big boy and he says i'm troy the gardener and, and then I love how they just pass the tape around. It becomes the yeah. hottest commodity. I gotta say, that really reinforced why, I mean, not that I'm, not that, not that there's any danger of me doing this, but why I would never be in a porno or in a movie that required any sort of nudity. Because, like, it's my, it's not my greatest fear because it's not a rational fear. It's like being afraid of sharks when you don't go in the ocean. But, like, I, I do not want everybody that I know to be secretly passing around a tape of me having sex and laughing. No. That's such a nightmare. That, that's, Poor that's Bobby. such a nightmare. <laughs> it really does become, like, it's what they're all doing. They show everybody one by one. Yeah. But I did I love the twist how when Eric has the tape and he lets it slip to Isa and Isa is mm -hmm. just like, oh, I've known about that for years, pretty much along yeah. with all the rest of the women in Craig Lang and they used to show it at parties. Yeah. It's old news. Yeah. I love that she was able to keep that one amongst the women. <laughs> yeah, the two other women in Craig Lang. The two Lang. other women in Craig Lang, yeah. <laughs> All right, so how would we do a fuck, Mary kill? Well, how many characters are we looking the at? The four pensioners who are young men playing old would be easy. Jack, Victor, Tam, and Winston. Yeah, that's that's easy. They're kind of the main ones. Okay. <laughs> I gotta say, I love them all. I don't want to do anything with anyone. <laughs> I don't want to live with them. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to fuck or marry them. Uh, this is going to be... Quite the toughie. I'm going to assume that you want that Victor Dick more than once, so you're going to marry him, yes? Am I my age or their age? Up to you. If we're their age. But Winston is so sweet with Winnie. I think it would be very, very cruel to kill either Jack or Victor and leave the other one to fend for himself. To me, it might make the most sense to either marry Jack or Victor and then have the other one be the roommate. But I guess that's me putting their needs before mine. I don't know. Ah. The problem is I think that of all of these people, Tam might deserve to die the most, but I also want to fuck him the most, which is a problem I run into a lot in this game, which probably says nothing good about me. No, that is, that is super relatable to hate the thing you desire. Tension. It w yeah, I mean, it's like that say. was the case with Rimmer. That was the case with like so many people. This is like, oh, you're a bastard. And yet, and yet. Winston can't be my roommate because he really would just expect me to cook and clean for him all the time. True. I'm thinking I kill Winston. And then I don't know if I want to marry or roommate with Jack. And I don't know if I want to fuck Victor or Tam. Yeah, I'm probably also going to have to kill Winston. As as sweet as he is, I, you know, I couldn't marry him because, like, he would gamble away all of our money. Okay, I, th I have mine, actually. Okay, do it, do it. I am going to fuck Tam. Mm-hmm. I am going to marry Victor. Okay. I am going to kill Winston, and I am going to just have the time of my life being Jack Jarvis's roommate. I'm gonna have to agree with you there. Because imagine, like, going on a date with your man... 
and it's Victor, and then you go to the clansmen, and Jack is there, and like tomorrow morning, you're all gonna have tea and wit and tunnox. Like it'll be, <laughs> it'll be so cute. My life would have been so cute if only I had grown up in 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 a small town outside of Glasgow. It'd be so cute and easy all the time. No. Yeah. But all right, so we've been dancing around this for a while. Um, also, by the way, it it is Halloween. Joyous Sawin, I'm going to light a black candle as we move on to this portion of the conversation. So based off the first two episodes of the last season, I had no idea how this thing was going to end. In fact, I thought it might end on a zany note and some kind of line about like, we'll always be there for each other. And then someone smashes through a window and it's, oh, yuck, yuck, yuck. It had to end one of two ways. Like from the first episode, I was like, either they're all going to die at the end, or it's going to be one of those open-ended things where like they wrap up the series, but they leave it open for it to continue again if they're still around and into doing it in another decade, which, you know, did happen the first time and which is not uncommon, especially in British shows. But actually, I think in all shows these days, it's like, oh, we're going to revive this 20 years later because why the fuck not? The public want it. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, like, there was some awful part of me, not awful part of me, but some part of me that, like, craves story structure that was like, I'm going to feel a little bit cheated if they don't die at the end. Yeah. It'll feel like fucking On Golden Pond, which is the most pointless movie I have ever wasted hours of my life watching, <laughs> which I had to watch in school. Anyway, but you're my um, knight in shining armor. Like, I've never seen that movie. Isn't that a really famous movie with famous... Lots of things are famous and suck. Wow. It's just about these two old people and you think the one's gonna die and then he doesn't. And it's like, oh, wow, what was the, what was the point of all that? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But just to set it up, though, like, I did think it would kind of have a... I mean, I, I wasn't thinking I'll be disappointed if they don't die. But I was thinking, like, I will be disappointed if this doesn't end on some kind of more profound note. Because I know these yeah, guys like have it in them. I know they often interrupt it. I guess the last thing I'd want to mention is that other beautiful monologue of Jack's that he gives in the caravan about the one woman he slept with after Jean. Mm. Again, I feel like Ford Kiernan is one of the strongest actors because all he does is, like slow down and mumble, you know, and, and he just tells this beautiful story and then Winston interrupts it and it's like all over. Yeah. So I thought like they better not keep doing that. I would love it to end on on a note that makes me think and feel and not on a we finally tried skydiving kind of <laughs> note. And since that season kind of began that way, I was suspicious. But then that two-parter about Winston's operation made me go, they're taking me in a direction that I wasn't ready for. And then the wedding did turn out to just be a sweet sequence that they did not ruin. There was a moment where I got nervous where they had sparklers on the cake that set off the sprinklers, but it only rained on Winston and Winnie and they both just laugh. And Winnie had yeah. said earlier that she liked the idea of an outdoor wedding because rain is good luck. And the way they're yeah. able to say like, well, there's our rain. And they mm -hmm. still got to have the wedding. I thought, okay, they're, they're going to rip my heart out through my ass. Like, aren't they? Again, like this is a show about old people and it, within the world of the show, it's been going on for at least 10 years. These people are like probably in their eighties now. It's not, I mean, it is technically a spoiler, but we weren't 
warned you about that in advance. It's not that much of a spoiler to be like, everybody dies, but there are so many ways to convey everybody dies. And like, you know, it's like the end of season two of Blackadder. That's not a, you know, sad moving thing, but the end of season four of Blackadder absolutely is, mm-hmm. even though like the end result is the same. It's a high body count of the same people. But but this one, just the way that they did it, it made me think of Six Feet Under, yeah, which course. again is a show all about death. And of course, like it's not really a spoiler that like everybody dies at the end, like over the course of the whole lifetime. And just like the little montage at the end and the music and the way that they showed each character just doing what they do and then just slowly fading. And first, it's, it's the whole thing, the whole episode is about Jack and Victor deciding that they want to climb this mountain because they've been putting it off forever and like the weather's about to get cold and they might miss their chance for another year and how many more opportunities do they have? And then, do you did you write down what the dialogue is oh, as I, they're going up? I wrote down all the dialogue I, And I was crying. They're going to hike Ben Lomond and they pitch it to the other, you know, notorious friendos and Tam and Winston and Bobby are all going to join them. And they're camping the night before. They're kind of at the base of the mountain, Ben Lomond. They're passing around tins of food that Tam brought with him that don't even have labels on them. And one of them is literally a can of paint. Like they're they're, they're not equipped for this, this trip at all. And Naveed and Isa find them at the campsite because we need one more moment of them kind of kind of all together. And they say like, you guys better not go up there tomorrow. The weather's going to turn. So let's just party. And there's a bottle of whiskey. But the next morning, Victor finds Jack just looking up at the mountain. And Victor says, there's always next year. Or no, no, no. Sorry, forgive me. The night before, when they decide not to go, Victor says, there's always next year. And Jack says, if any of us are here next year. And I love that Victor said back, of course, we'll be here next year. None of us are going anywhere, just like that mountain. Now, the next morning, Jack is looking up the mountain and kind of wordlessly, not wordless, because they just say it doesn't look so bad up there, does it? And they just kind of start walking. They didn't even bring any water. Jack asks Victor, did you bring water? And he says, nah, but I did fill my hip flask with the last of Isa's bottle. And they're quiet for a second. And you see them just from behind, like walking up this Mm -hmm. path. And Victor asks, do you think they'll be wondering where we went? Mm -hmm. And Jack says, nah, they'll know where we went. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. And and yeah, the way they just fade slowly. And, and I mm-hmm. went, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you see Tam, like, picking up a coin on the street and just looking so happy. And, uh, and then he fades. And then you see Winston pushing Winnie. And then he fades, but she's still there. And then you finally see Mina's face. She, like, turns around and makes this, like, lovely shocked face and then disappears, which is, like, a little bit weird. But again... It, it was a little uh, weird. Yeah, it, and then... I, I don't remember the order, but did you write it oh, down? Oh, no. I, you, you were right. Yeah. It, it was... Tam and Winston and you know Winnie's kind of pushing herself but then she fades too and yeah. and Mina and and then the one that really got me to start crying was that then Naveed walks into the shop and he's carrying boxes and his expression he just looks so tired and sad and he faded next and that was when I just fell the fuck apart and when Isa like I yelled her oh. name I, I yelled <laughs> Oh. Too. Yeah. Um, but also in between there, you know, Francis 
is in the library yeah. and she she fades right. and then methadone mike enters and he's all cleaned up he's not wearing his dirty yeah. beanie and he's wearing like a button-down shirt and i thought mm-hmm. for a second like don't kill fucking methadone mike like i became very protective <laughs> of him in that moment yeah and they lingered on him and they, they they he didn't disappear but it was like he's fine he's 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 all cleaned up he's good yeah yeah but well, yeah that was that also just made me think again of the whole like cycle of life thing and how it all it keeps going because something that we didn't mention we did briefly mention that you know tam gets married to francis but we didn't really mention that she's the librarian and the weight like he and winston are in competition in the episode where we meet her and like tam ultimately woos her by being more well read than than winston and so they have this very literary courtship but then there's another younger female librarian right that that takes over and it when i was kind of like oh no like maybe methadone mick is going to fall in love with this librarian and the whole cycle begins again it was so nice but that fucking shot of the corner of the hallway with all of their empty apartments oh yeah i was freaking out and then when it you know cuts and you see the outside of the clansman i screamed like don't go in i don't want to see it like i did not want to go into the clansman oh i know and they fucking you know it's it's bobby and he's he's from behind and he's he's cut his mm-hmm. hair and it's gray and he's pouring a pint oh, and Bobby is someone who, again, I like very much. He has annoyed me. He has made me laugh, but he's never made me feel like crying. And and right. he turns around and looks straight into camera and in his gruff, oh. older voice, the way he just says, well, look who it is me. And, and then it was oh. the end of the show. I was like, you guys, I was not ready for this. And I was sobbing yeah. when i Me tell too. you okay you you did yeah oh no i i was not expecting to have my fucking heart ripped out my ass as i believe you said <laughs> earlier like i i was expecting to be like oh like that was that was sweet and sad but i wasn't expecting like black adder goes fourth level tears or six feet under level tears but yeah this show it really snuck up on me how how much i cared yeah <laughs> also end. And I know this will sound silly and overly romantic of me, I guess, but I was thinking about how this aired in 2019. Mm. Oh, fuck. In, in the yeah. UK. And um, mm-hmm. I knew at any point in 2020 that I would have been able to go watch it. I don't know why I just never chose to do that. Because there were some older yeah. episodes of Still Game that I did watch during like hardcore quarantine then. Sure. But I never thought like, let's commit to watching that final season of Still Game. Maybe because I knew in the back of my head that we'd be covering it eventually. Right. And, you know, I know they're fictional. No one needs to remind me of that. But I felt so <laughs> like, and I know that maybe it doesn't make sense that in real life they all would have died in the exact same year. You know what I mean? But I right, kind of right. thought and like, I don't think that that's what was implied. You no, know, but I kind of thought like, I'm so glad this happened before COVID in a way. Mm. I don't know. Just watching people fade away, you know, w- yeah. with COVID, I did think just about time and yeah. you know sometimes obviously when when people die people of a certain status or people who you're very very close with like your whole world fucking comes to an end but a lot mm-hmm. of these people were all each other had and to see that the town just kind of continued going on and methadone mick mm-hmm. and the young librarian are still there and the clansman is still there there are younger mm-hmm. people in there now and time is just kind of passing without not without incident but like just kind of yeah. without any 
drama and that's right. really how it is it's it's the Carmela Soprano thing about mm-hmm. everything you know we're so worried about things and in the end it all just passes away and mm-hmm. you know of course I thought about my parents and of course I thought about just people I love and I thought about myself you know I was listening to <laughs> this is where I'm going to reveal that I've I've listened to episodes of our own podcast recently but I listened to the first few minutes <laughs> of our episode about bottom and you saying it I'm 33 <laughs> and I'm oh, just like <laughs> I, I hate this this time that has passed under our noses where we've been so focused on nothing but tragedy really for plenty of us we've been locked away and who knows what we would have gotten up to if this never happened and you know I'm not saying my life would look completely different but it would be fundamentally very different just by little things that would have happened to me and so yeah I felt this great deal of of mourning not only of these beloved characters but also of like the unlived life and how unfair it is that in order to have a world it needs to keep moving forward and there are going to be millions of casualties and things that just kind of slowly change under our nose and you know it doesn't always feel cataclysmic it can just sometimes feel like things fading into into nothing beautifully put oh i don't know what to say in response to that but yes (laughs) you you don't have to say anything in response to it i'm so happy you're my friend dude i want oh my god you too It bums me out that we live on opposite sides of the country, and I don't really see that ever changing. But I would love to have you as my elderly little neighbor someday. Yes. With a gossiping bastard next to us. We could could have a techie friend of ours drill a giant opening in one of our walls so that we could get to each other even quicker to watch each other's sky TV. Yes. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like who knows what's in for me? Who knows if our generation will ever get to retire? Nah. But it would be nice to spend my twilight years in a place where everybody does know my business. Because otherwise, <laughs> you're just kind of forgotten. You see it with Victor's son. People forget you and you've got to find a chosen family, but you're doing it sort of later in life, right? Even though I know yeah. these people have known each other for years, but they don't have their mm-hmm. own families that get their attention. They're what each other has. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to be in a place where everybody knows my business, even if that business is a long ago porno tape and everyone's making fun of me behind my back about it. Well, what are we watching next time? Oh, man, we are going to be really changing gears (laughs) because next week we're going to be watching the very dark, heavy masterpiece. I may destroy you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's that'll be that'll be a. I don't want to say a fun one, but it'll be an interesting and enjoyable one to to dive into. Meanwhile, light a candle for Jack and Victor and... um, And everyone else. And everybody else. We'll be back next week, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this. And if you didn't, get it up, yeah. Mm.